Um, we've been talking about different uh, one-liners that can affect our lives. I mean, every, 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 uh, the, over the last few Sundays, we've been taking different topics and coming up with one-liners. Man, that sounds good. I'm finally hearing myself. Yeah, so um, here are some of the one-liners. Uh, when I call them one-liners, I don't mean to, um, I don't mean to, di- I don't mean to diminish it. What I meant is these one-liners help us remember things. So here's the first one. Um, Wayne, can you switch this thingy off? First one was, I seek the same relationship, I seek the same relationship with the Father, I seek the same relationship of trust, intimacy, and affection that Jesus had with the Father. This was one of the one of the teachings about five or six weeks ago, and this was what we drew out of it so that we can carry it home and begin to practice it. That Father, I won't settle for anything less than the same relationship that Jesus had with you. And we figured that Jesus had this amazing relationship of trust, of intimacy, and of affection. And we talked about that. And so our intent every day is, Father, I want to seek the same relationship that Jesus had with you. Because that's the, that's the ultimate model of, an, of a relationship. And it's possible here on earth, eh? It's not something that's out there. It's possible here on earth. So the first thing I want we said was, I seek the same relationship of trust, intimacy, and affection that Jesus had with the Father. So I'm just going over some of the stuff we've done in the past so we can move on to the next thing I want to add to it. The next thing we said is, I exist... I exist to serve. Do you guys want to complete it? I exist to. The only reason I exist is to. Serve and display. Serve and display the king and to advance his rule and influence. Guys, guys, uh, why, why am I going over this every week? Because once we learn it, we can live it. And the only word, way to learn truth is through repetition. So that's why, uh, I mean, remember when we used to talk about the body and about Christ's life and all this stuff, we'd go over things again and again till if I woke you up in the middle of the night, you could say what uh, it meant. Any question I'd ask you, you would respond even in the middle of the night. The point being, it, this should happen the same way. These are some, I mean, I, 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 these are such fundamental truths that if they become a part of who I am, life here on earth will become so much easier, man. So the second one is I exist to serve and display the king and to advance his rule and influence. This is the only reason I exist, guys. There's no other reason I exist. It's the only reason. It goes back to what we used to teach about four or five years ago when we said that we are supposed to be accurate representatives of Christ. Not just representatives, accurate representatives. Because the ambassador of Canada to England doesn't send his son to meet the queen. Because he won't be able to accurately represent the country. This goes back to that. I exist. The only reason I exist is to serve and display the king and to advance his rule and influence. That is the second one. Third one. 
this was about three weeks ago. I live by the life of the risen. I live. I sorry. I live the. I live the risen life of another. That's one good way to put it. You can put it in many different ways. I live the risen life of another so that I may do the heavenly works of another. And the another here being Christ. We talked about this three weeks ago. That the only life I presently possess is the life of the risen Christ. The only life I presently possess, other than my physical life, which I said, you, you, you cut my jugular and the blood runs out and my physical life ends. But really, does Jacob's life end? No. Because the only life I presently possess as a believer is the risen life of Christ. So the third statement we made was, I live the risen life of another so that I may do the heavenly works of another. Live the life of another and you will do the works of another. And it's not just any life, it's the risen life of another. This is the only thing I possess. It's a life that cannot be dented, cannot be overtaken. It's joyous, it's abundant, it is uh, unsurmountable. That's the kind of life I really have. And we talked about this about three weeks ago and even last week. Fourth statement. It's a new table. I don't know where I keep things anymore. Fourth. Fourth point was, um, I will make righteous choices. I will make righteous choices by the power of the Spirit. I will make righteous choices by the power of God's Spirit. Guys, remember, the power of sin does not hold a grip on me anymore because the power of sin was broken. Death can't hold me down anymore because the power of death was broken. And I have the risen life of Christ in me. And I'm absolutely capable of making righteous choices. And a man of choices is a man of destiny. A man of choices is a man of destiny. So, the, we, we talked about this uh, some weeks ago. I will make righteous choices by the power of God's Spirit. And if you want to listen to the rest of it, you'll have to ask uh, Wayne and he'll give you the CD. The next thing was, and this was ages ago, not ages ago, maybe at the beginning of the year. This is such a cool one. I hope you haven't forgotten it. I will place, I will place first things of God first. I will place first things of God first. And all other things will fall into place. This is such a simple thing, man. I will search for and place. I will search for and place the first things of God first and all other things will fall into place. And all other things will fall into place. I mean, just think of it, eh? When it comes to money, search and find out what God says about money. First things first. When it's about your marriage, search and find out what God says about your marriage. In matters of time, 
talent, treasure, and life, find out what God says about something. Place it first, and it is impossible for the rest not to come together. Put first things first, and you will get the second also. C.S. Lewis, put second things first, and you will not get the first, nor will you get the second. Simple, awesome rule, man. And you'll have to search it out, eh? Because all of us come from different cultures. So in our minds, there is a certain way we think. But that may not be the biblical way. So I have to search out the first things of God, then put them first. What if you've grown up in a home that, in a reaction against church taking up all their time, decided that the family comes first and church is secondary? Sounds like a good principle. Your family comes first. God, family, church. I've heard it all my life. What if it's not true? What if it's not true? Just think about that. Yeah. Yeah, seek first. Seek first. Seek first. Search it out. Search it out. We can't put first things first based on what we think is right, but what we, what we have to go and look for and then put right. Yeah, the word of God, yeah. Because it supersedes all cultures, right? So in marriage, in child rearing, in sex, in money, in work, in everything, man. And all other things fall into place. Okay, next one. I love this one. This we did, I think, two weeks ago. My life must only be about the fame of Jesus. My life must only be about the fame of Jesus. My life must only be about the fame of Jesus. No other reason. Everything that my life now, I mean, uh, for instance, uh, when Dagmar was saying, and then Jacob prayed for me, and I got healed, and thank God for a, did did she say brilliant pastor, or great, or magnificent, I didn't remember the word. (laughs) She didn't say any of that. Humble pastor, yeah. She said, thank God for this humble pastor that we have. So, while she's saying that, sure, guys, like it or not, when you do the works of God, the Bible, Jesus put it this way, uh, if they don't believe you for the words you do, they will believe you for the works you do. So, that's fine. But at the end of the day, if it does not deflect back to Jesus, then it's not about the fame of Jesus, but it's the fame of Jacob. So, there's there's no harm in acknowledging those that have done you good. In fact, I think it's sometimes pride when we don't want to acknowledge human conduits through which blessings have come. But having acknowledged that, may our hearts be such that our lives are about the fame of Jesus. And then once you become like that, it just deflects naturally, man. You don't have to say praise the Lord. It just happens naturally. And the last one, which is what we will look at today. Not the last one, the last one as of date. Uh, yeah, or whatever the word is. The last one which we look at today, which I think is so cool, is... Hey, by the way, all these things that I've said, Joan printed it out on some cards and it said the, um, on the glass table behind. Mm-hmm. Only now she'll have to start doing the back also because we're going to add more. Yeah, there's more to it. I just keep it just so I can keep remembering it. Um, Next one. 
today's what we'll be talking about today i live to make others glad in god i live to make others glad in god that's what we'll be looking at today the phrase, the phrase glad in god i borrowed from someone else but um, it, it covers everything guys we don't use the word glad too often now we go for shucks and awesome and stuff like that but but the bible often used to use the word gladness it is so encompassing remember that song anyone who's born before 1980s remembers that song um, um he has made me glad he has made me glad i will rejoice for he has made me glad no one sings that anymore yeah so gladness is uh, is a biblical word and so w- today we'll be talking about i live to make others glad in god not i live to make others glad no 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 i live to make others glad in god the in god thing is very important guys because it's one thing to be formed into a people of god but why does god form us into a people the reason god forms us into a people is for someone else said the same thing about israel why did god choose israel as a nation because he wanted to display to the rest of the world who god was it was always for someone else israel was set apart so that i can call a nation unto myself and display to the rest of the earth what a people in whom god dwells looks like it's the same with us the only reason we are being set apart as a people of god is so that we become something to someone else something for whom something for god to someone else why so that they may be glad in god also just as you are glad in god Remember that statement we made long ago two famous guys said it one uh, and um, um, here was a statement god is most glorified in you when i am most satisfied in him just think of that eh god is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to help people to see who god is so that they may be glad in him because when they are glad in him they will glorify him so that's what we'll talk about today so to make glad is to basically free people free people to recognize rise recognize rise and be satisfied recognize and rise and be satisfied in god that's what that's what i mean by to make glad to make glad is to free people to recognize rise and be satisfied in god and once they come to a place of being satisfied in god they will glorify him it's impossible not to glorify or lift up or exalt something that you're satisfied with why do you tell people about your favorite restaurant why do you tell people about your favorite airline why do you tell people about your wife why do you not tell people about your wife or your husband it's usually because either there's great satisfaction or some minor dissatisfaction that's how it works yeah why don't we talk about the canucks anymore 22 years of great dissatisfaction and disappointment but welcome to vancouver the home of the 2016 stanley cup champions <laughs> yes that's something it is not a prophetic word <laughs> pardon 
I'm Jason, yeah. <laughs> Guys, it's very natural for God to have us live like this because isn't he the one who came to seek, save, and serve others? What is his reason for coming? To seek, save, and serve others. Uh, who were the others? Me. Gosh, I'm grateful. He didn't come for Israel. He didn't come to um, establish Israel as a people that are exclusive. He came to Israel so that through Israel, he could now seek, save, and serve others. And who were the others? Jacob. So at the end of the day, I live to make others glad in God. is so a part of who God is. It's part of his nature. We, as Acts 29, are no longer for ourselves. We've been formed into a people of God. That was a process. It was necessary to be not ingrown, but homebred. But now we live for the sake of someone else. So here's the thing though. When you live to make others glad in God, know that life will be more demanding. When you live to make others glad in God, know that life will be more demanding, risks will be higher, but joy will be fuller. Let me say that again. When you when you when you choose to make when you choose to live a life that makes others glad, know that life will be more demanding, and as in there'll be greater demands placed on your life, because now you're not living for yourself. There'll be greater demands placed on your life. There'll be risks that are higher, but with risks that are higher comes this whole aspect of counting the cost and launching an adventure. Hey, half the reason Christianity is not fun is because there are no risks and there is no counting the cost that's involved. Because the tickets are already booked. Go to heaven. There is no risk involved. That's why Christianity sometimes gets so dull. And it's very possible to live a dull Christian life by not making it about others. The moment you do that, God begins to do something else. And joy gets fuller. Joy gets fuller. Joy gets full. Fuller is the wrong word. But the kids are not here anyways. Joy gets fuller. So no longer is it merely about what God does in me. It's what God does through me for others. It's no longer about what God does in me. And there's a great place for that. eh? I mean, thank God for the things he does in me and does for me. But now it's what he does through me for others. And really, guys, I, I, I'm telling you based on what I know God is about in terms of Acts 29, that that is surely where we are going, surely where we are heading. Where it's God doing things through me for others, through us for others. When I say me, I mean us. And remember in 2014, we started with this theme called World Meet God. Yeah, it's coming back to that world, meet God. As in, when people meet you, they should see through you who the Father is. Because what was Jesus' primary purpose on earth? I have come to show you the Father. What is Acts 29's primary purpose on earth? We have come to show you the Father. So every time people meet you, they should be able to see some aspect of the Father. And if we don't go, then who, guys? If, If you don't go, then who? And if not now, when? When you're older. Not everybody can have a hip that lasts for 30 years. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? I just want to look at the life of Elijah and see how, um, how things would have changed had Elijah not responded. Eh? How, Elijah, how things would have changed had Elijah not responded. And from there on, uh, we'll pick some principles. 
Oh, it's only 11.40. Um, guys, let's turn to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Any questions thus far? Any questions? Okay, pick up one of those thingies at the, um, on the glass table and take it home and learn it and then give that card away to somebody else. And then uh, when we add a few more, Joan will print some more. 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. So here's the first statement I want to make. If Elijah does not, doesn't rise up, people will not make a decision. If Elijah does not rise up, people will not make a decision. If Elijah does not rise up, if Elijah doesn't rise up, people will not decide. People will not decide. If Elijah doesn't rise up, people will not decide. What are we talking about? We are talking about, okay, Father, so we are ready to live to make others glad. And if we don't, here are the things that could happen. And therefore, we will. If Elijah does not rise up, and the Bible always calls um, any, any, any time in history that pre, pre what? what, what do you, what's the word? Precedes. Any time in history that precedes the arrival of the Messiah, you always have a John the Baptist or an Elijah type of people. In Luke it happened before Jesus came, there was John the Baptist. Whenever there's rank apostasy and God wants to bring a new move, he will always raise up an Elijah kind of people. Which is why the Bible often talks about walking in the spirit of Elijah. As in, how did he function? Therefore function there similarly because of what I'm about to do. So one of the things we need to understand is if Elijah doesn't rise up, people will not decide. Turn to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18 and go to verse 20. Verse 20. 20 to 22 and then 39. 1 Kings 18 verse 20. I'm reading. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Guys, people today, especially in the kind of era we live in, are always limping between two opinions. eh? And the odd thing is Bible schools and churches promote this. They never tell you black or white. They always tell you multiple opinions and they leave you to decide what is best for you. It's almost this sense of, this is, this is what this scholar says, this is what this scholar says. This is what this school of thought says, this is what this school of thought says. This is what it says in Greek, this is what it says in Hebrew. And what is your opinion? Uh, that's up to you. you. You can decide which... I mean, I, I, I remember doing a paper on Colossians and Ephesians, and there were 60 opinions on it. And I failed that paper, unfortunately, because I only had one opinion. And so he told me to redo the whole exam. But that's different. 60 different opinions on a simple statement. And what is the statement? That our battle is with the rudimentary, um, elemental spirits of the world that Colossians talks about. A Greek word called stoichia. 60 opinions on it. The point being, guys, if Elijah doesn't rise up, you and I need to rise up, otherwise people will not decide. It's an odd time we live in, eh? 
You see it in the media. CNN will call a guy who believes in God to hear his opinion. But after he speaks about how he believes in God, now they call a guy who does not believe in God so that we can hear his opinion. Why? Because we, are, we crave for the safe middle. Same thing about homosexuality. Some will say homosexuality is wrong. Others will say homosexuality is right. And the majority of the church will go back to the old cliche saying, uh, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. And we don't even know what that means. Everything is so gray, man. If Elijah does not rise, people will not decide. Have an opinion, guys. Go ahead. Yeah, people will not take a stand, it's fine. People will not stand, take a stand on one thing or the other. Guys, I, I love what Eddie always says. Eddie, Eddie quotes this line very often. He says, a person with experience is not at the mercy of a person with an opinion. A person with, an, a person with experience is not at the mercy of a person with an opinion. A person with experience is not at the mercy of a person with an opinion. I was listening to a podcast yesterday that was being done by two, one highly trained theologian and a pastor here in Vancouver, Abbotsford. And they were discussing Satan. And it was odd. This pastor from Abbotsford was talking about at least a thousand demons that he had cast out. And the theologian was talking about how Satan is actually an imagination that Christians have of how evil is personified and and you could hear both of them and you could hear one had an opinion and one had experience and a person of experience is never at the mercy of the person of opinion and so when I say that Elijah needs to rise up so that people will take a stand or people will decide guys over the next few months based on just what we have been experiencing during our prayer times over the last couple of weeks I'm telling you get engaged Get engaged at what is what the Spirit of God is doing here. Get engaged. Because remember, we've talked about this before. Engagement or association. I know I've spelled engagement wrong. Don't worry about it. Just spell it right. Engagement or association leads to imitation. And imitation leads to formation of whatever Christ wants to form in you. And formation finally leads to you being commissioned and sent out to do what you're supposed to do. And any step that you miss out, you will not end up here. Any step you miss out there, you won't end up here. This is when this is of great advantage. Engagement, oh, it is correct. Engagement or association will lead to imitation. Meaning, if let's assume that God is doing something at Acts 29 that is relatively different from what he's done over the last 9 or 10 years, then and engage with it, associate with it. Because as you associate with it, you will begin to imitate or practice it. When you imitate or practice it, things will be formed in you. You will become who you need to become. And then God will commission you. Nobody on earth can stop that from happening. Miss any of these steps and you do not end up here. You end up as a maverick who's doing things on his own. I'd so suggest, not based on what I'm saying, go check with others who are engaged at present in the things that are happening at Axman and ask them, is there something different brewing? Is there something different brewing? And there is, guys. There is. I'd so suggest that you engage. Because we have to be a people who have God encounters behind us before we express anything, guys. Got to have God encounters behind us so that we can speak. So that we are never at the mercy of those with an opinion. 
And look, look, look at what happens in verse in the next verse. Eh? This is so odd. So uh, I'm starting at verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Look at the next line. And the people did not answer him with a word. He's just placed a choice before them. Hey, you want to follow Baal or you want to follow God? And what's their response? Silence. What did it take for these people to move to the next level? Verse 39. Fire fell from the skies, burnt up the sacrifice. And suddenly, you see in verse 39. Verse 39. Verse 39 says, And when all the people saw it, (laughs) they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Guys, you can present people with choices and they will yet not respond till they see a God encounter that happens through you and me. This is why Jesus had to say this. Guys, this is the Son of God who is saying, if you do not believe me for the words I speak, then believe me for the works I do. He had to say it, guys. And if he had to say it, then know that our words will help people to decide, some of them. But many will still remain silent when you present them this and that. Till you see God at work. Any questions before we go on? Told me in the past she does not believe in God. Coffee. Sorry, I, I yeah. She uh, told me that she doesn't believe in God, and yet she had to acknowledge what the, the dentist said. Yeah. Prayer Guys, it's not that we don't use words, but know that if they don't believe you for your words, they have to believe you for your yeah. works. This is thanks, man. This is how Jesus was. This is how Jesus was. First Corinthians four twenty. What does it say? It says the the the. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. And unfortunately, as much as you and I think that the Holy Spirit teaches us, remember he teaches us through a people. I wouldn't be... One third of who I am, if it were not for the fact that I belong to a church like this. Really. Everything opened up for me only after I came to this church. Which is not to say that this church is the ultimate church. No, there are at least 7,000 other churches like this. All I'm saying is, got to be a part of something for something to happen. Because that's how God works. Second statement. Guys, um, don't talk to me because I've got a bias. Because I'm a pastor here. Talk to others in this church and ask them, hey, is this true that something's happening? And listen to what they say. And if, if it's not true, just, just look at what I said as an exaggeration. But if it is true, decide if you want to engage. Because something is brewing. Yeah. Something is brewing, man. For, next one. If Elijah doesn't go, if Elijah doesn't go, the widow in Zarephath 
will cook her last meal. Will cook her last meal. If Elijah doesn't go, the widow in the widow in Zarephath will cook her last meal. First Kings seventeen. First Kings seventeen. First Kings seventeen. Eight to thirteen. Eight to thirteen. So, I'm, I'm, I'm reading. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring, in, bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. If Elijah doesn't rise up, and go to Zarephath, the widow will cook her last meal. Guys, we are in a place because we, because the Spirit of God has been so gracious in teaching us to listen to God and hear His voice. We are in a place where we can be like the clouds in Job 37 verse 12. Read Job 37 12. It's, I mean, every time I read that verse, I think to myself, why didn't I discover this long ago? Job 37 12. And read it from different versions once, once you get home. It is such a cool verse, man. Job 37, 12. Uh, depending on the version you read, uh, I'll read it from the ESV. Uh, starting at verse 11. Job 37, 11, and 11 to 13. Beautiful verse. Here's what it says. Job is before Psalms. I know you, we hardly read that book. Um, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn round and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. The message puts it this way. He puts these clouds that are loaded with moisture through their paces, this way then that, and commands them to do what he says for discipline or grace or extravagant love. This is who we are supposed to be. Clouds loaded with moisture that he turns around at his command. Sometimes this way, sometimes that. Why? Because sometimes he may use you to bring correction, sometimes discipline, sometimes extravagant love. Doesn't matter. If Elijah doesn't go to Zarephath, the woman cooks her last meal. And who do you think he wants to send? You and I, man. Now when you look back at the last 9 or 10 years, you realize why God has always taught us to operate by hearing and not by policy but by hearing father what do you want to do father what do you want to do father what do you want to do where do you want us to go next use this in our lives both as a church and as a people some of you who were here on monday night heard the story of how joan who does not like driving outside of number five and number one in richmond was asked to go all the way to metro town and to go into chapters to meet a burmese guy who had backslidden Yeah. This is this is when a demand is placed on life, risks get higher, but joy gets fuller. She goes meets a guy and he has begun to turn his life around and will be meeting with Joan again in the future to figure things out. <laughs> 
Oh, if we only listened and went, if if we only listened and went out at His command. I love this part of the clouds, man. I've got this up on my in uh, near, near near the kitchen area in my life, in my um, house, because it's the area I never use. So this is <laughs> this is because I cook at other restaurants. So so uh, um, this guy Josh from Vernon shot this beautiful picture of massive clouds in Vernon loaded with moisture with thunder and lightning and he framed it up and he wrote this on the back of the picture clouds loaded with moisture sending out lightning moving according to his command this way and that sometimes for grace sometimes for kindness sometimes for discipline sometimes for extravagant love that is who you are man that is who we are I look forward to this eh because how do you become a part of God encounters unless you illogically obey what he is asking you to how do you become a part of God encounters? We said that a people who encounter God do not express opinions anymore. They express black and white truths. And so how do you enter into God encounters but through being obedient even when commands are sometimes illogical? Guys, you know I've lived my life this way and you've seen the adventures in it. I know some of you have lived this way and I've seen the adventures in your life. What when a people begin to live like this? Snap out of our stupor, man, because something is afoot. Something is brewing. And I don't want, like George Bush said, not, not one child left behind. All of us in this, man. It'll be a shame if anybody misses out on what is afoot. People will be glad in the Lord and the widow will not die but live when you begin to rise up and say, okay, um, I know Zarephath. And, and look at what Jesus said in Luke four twenty six. He said, there were many widows in Israel during the time of the famine when for three and a half years the rains were shut up. Luke four twenty five. And yet, who did God send Elijah to? God sent Elijah all the way into Sidon, which is a pagan part of the uh, country, sent him all the way to one widow. Why? Because that's what God decided was the best thing to do. And so it happened. Doesn't make sense, man. I was telling somebody that Acts 29 goes on mission trips, or I, when I travel, I said, Father, of all the places you could choose to, choose to have me and Acts 29 live, Vancouver is the farthest place from the rest of the world. If you go west, you end up drowning. If you go east, you fly on forever. This, there is no other place in the world that is as far away from every other place we know than Vancouver. The next place after this is Japan. How? <laughs> so the point is, guys, God, God does things illogically. And illogically in terms of how we think. But if... Elijah doesn't rise up. The widow in Zarephath will cook her last meal. Got to rise up, eh? We no longer live for ourselves. We live to make others glad in God. We live to make others glad in God. That's the only reason. Next one. If Elijah doesn't go, 
If Elijah doesn't go, the son is not resurrected. The son is not resurrected. If Elijah doesn't go, the son is not raised from the dead. If Elijah doesn't go, the son is not raised from the dead. First Kings 17, 21 to 23. First Kings 17, first Kings 17, 21 to 23. First Kings 17, 21. Love this one. So Elijah begins praying because a woman had a son, the son is dead. And so he prays, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? That was Elijah's flawed understanding of who God is. But that was in the Old Testament. Let's move on. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came to him again and he revived. Then Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. In your mouth is the truth. Guys, if Elijah doesn't go as in if you and I don't go, then the years of the locusts, the years that the locusts have eaten in the lives of others will not be restored. Guys, do you realize this? That if someone hadn't gone out, your life would not have been restored. The years that the locusts ate in my life through drugs and all kinds of things were restored because someone decided that they would like to see Jacob made glad in the Lord. And thank God they did, eh? And they didn't do it once, they didn't do it twice, they didn't do it three times. They did it again and again, persisting, because for some strange reason they saw in me something that was worth recovering. Nobody sitting here would be here were it not for the fact that someone decided that I had to go out and get this particular person to be glad in the Lord, to be satisfied in the Lord. I live to make others glad in God. Not make others saved. Forget, forget the word saved for a second. Don't think of, I am here to get people saved. No, I am here to get them to be glad in the Lord. Once they begin to get glad in the Lord, they will be saved. When salvation, as in getting them to say a sinner's prayer, becomes the main objective, we miss out. Guys, show them the Father and He's so attractive that people surrender their lives to the Son. There will be times when I have no other, uh, I mean, th- there have been times when the Lord has said, forget showing him who I am, just tell him to give his life to the Lord right now and lead him in a sinner's prayer. And there's a time for that. But we hear and do. Our intent is we will go and make people glad in the Lord. We will show, we will free them to recognize, rise up and be satisfied in God. And salvation is a natural outcome. This is what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. No, was it Zacchaeus? Yeah. He went to his house for tea, had tea with him, and Zacchaeus turned around and gave back four times his money. Was it Zacchaeus or Levi? One of the guys. So let's put them both together. Okay. This is how it works, guys. So know this, that... Guys, does the rest of the world have the Spirit of God dwelling in them? No. Do we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us? Yes. The flesh profits nothing. The Spirit 
gives life. You and I can restore the years the locusts have eaten. Ezekiel 37 verse 12. And God says to Ezekiel, stand in these valley of bones and prophesy. So he prophesies and the bones come together. But they're still there. And then God says, now breathe upon them, breathe. And as you breathe, I'll bring life back. Prophesy upon them. And so Ezekiel says, and so I did what the Lord said and I began to prophesy. And as I prophesied, breath began to enter the valley of bones. And they rose up as one large army. Who, 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 who? If not you. When, if not now. Guys, we got far too much inside us now to just sit on it. Far too much inside us. Who else can do this, guys? But the people of God. I'm not saying Acts 29. The people of God. Who else can do this? Dead sons have to be resurrected. Thank God for those that came and rose us back to life, man. John 5.25 says this. A time is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will rise up from their graves. I know I'm taking it out of context, but it's so cool. John 5.25 A time is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and they shall rise up from their graves. John 5.25 I persist. Huh? I mean, Elijah goes lies down on the corpse three times. Hosea, Hosea chapter 2 verse 6 has this verse in which it says, um, by the second day, it says... Um, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live with him. It's almost, you'll find this third day principle in almost every situation where God is going to revive something. And Elijah goes, lies down on this boy three times and third time he comes back to life. Persist, persist. My God, if people gave up on me after they spoke to me once, I would not be where I am. It was because people persisted. People persisted. And remember, why do you need to, every time you persist, know that you are persisting because you were rejected the first time. There is no need for persistence if there is no rejection. Hi. I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing here still. (laughs) Persist. Lie down on the corpse three times. Lie down on the corpse three times. Can't give up, guys. Lie down on the corpse three times and it will revive. Next one, and we'll end with this. If Elijah does not go back, if Elijah does not go back, Elisha's are not mentored. If Elijah does not go back, Elisha's are not mentored. Jehu's are not anointed. Jezebels are not dismantled. If Elijah does not go back, if Elijah does not go back, Elisha's are not mentored or fathered. Yeah, I use the word father. Elisha's are not fathered. Jehu's are not anointed. And Jezebel's are not dismantled. Hey guys, remember, I'm talking about us as a people 
who will engage in things like this and how do we when when we begin to think like this as a people then we as individuals begin to function like that so i'm talking about us as a people functioning like this so that individuals wherever they are begin to do the same we don't think of individuals doing it together to form a collective we think collective first so that individuals can live out their little piece in the collective that's how the body works eh the head decides that at this particular moment jacob's second and third finger need to scratch his head uh, right down the middle and keep doing this for a while and it's amazing how so many things are working together at the same time it's not suddenly my fingers deciding scratch your head and my elbows deciding no i don't want to scratch it no everything works together the point being we think like this as a people and then as individuals begin to function in our own metron so If Elijah does not go back Elisha's a mentor an aunt mentor Jehu's aunt anointed Jezebel's aunt de- determined guys why she's still scared I've stopped doing that thing guys one of the things that happens to Christians in churches like Acts 29 is because of perhaps disappointments or because of um things not working out despite standing in faith because it's taking long what happens is for christians who've been christians for long you begin to harden your heart in some areas one of the things you got to go home and check is father is there anything about you that i've or anything that you do that i've hardened my heart against have i hardened my heart in the area of healing because i've waited for long and nothing has happened have i had in my heart in the area of provision because i waited for long and nothing has happened have i had in my heart in the area of real hope because i've trusted you and nothing has happened we don't realize this eh when we talk about the hardening of heart we think of being resistant to god no when it comes to us christians is not so much resistance to god but a certain part of our heart gets callous to certain characteristics of god and in that area you begin to shut down and it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter how many seminars you go for how many teachings you attend it doesn't matter that the spirit of god is flowing in that area the hardness has taken over and the only way out of it is through repentance because repentance is a changing of your mind at the end of the day how do you define changing of your mind the renewing of your mind is beginning to see things the way god sees them again the renewing of your mind is beginning to see things the way god sees them again so yes the renewing of the mind comes through the reading of the word but you can read the word and not see things the way god sees them and so nothing happens I met Christians in this church and in other churches where there is a hardness of heart in a certain area and everybody has it I've got areas in my life where my heart is hardened where because I haven't seen the kind of results I expected despite what I thought was um, endurance and faith in that area I'm a little hesitant because that area is hardened you think you don't have it in your life of course you do and the only way out of it is to repent saying father I'm sorry I think you don't do such things i have decided that you, this is an area that you're shut off to my heart is not resistant to you you i love you father but in this area i've shut you off and i need now 
to change the way I think by seeing things the way you see them. The word of God is to be seen as a place where God shows you how he thinks. And that is what renews your mind. Hey guys, the thing is, wherever your heart is hardened, you become the architect of your own future in that area. Wherever your heart is hardened, in that area, you become the architect of your own future. And even God can't help you. That sounds strange, but even God can't help you. Because he will not hijack your will. So, why am I bringing all this up? Because Elijah wanted to quit, man. He wanted to resign and get raptured. Elijah wanted to... Hey guys, if you ever want to leave, feel free to get up and leave. All we'll do when people leave in the middle of the services, we say, Joel and Myra are leaving the building. And that's about it. We just embarrass you a little and then that's the end of it. (laughs) Just so you know. Because maybe no one told you that this goes on till 12.20 or 12.30. But usually we end by 12.30. Okay. We should put up a sign saying 10.20 to 12, 12.30, 12.45 maybe. And then... (laughs) Guys, uh, so why am I saying this? Because Elijah quit, eh? Elijah hardened his heart in this area where it came to fear and Jezebel. And in the area that, uh, here's what he does. He says, I'm the only one left among your prophets. He went into self-pity. Guys, as we grow older, refuse to lick your wounds. Refuse to lick your wounds. Get healed. Refuse to lick your wounds. Get healed. It doesn't matter what kind of a past you have. Maybe you were abused in your past. Maybe your dad was a lousy guy. Maybe um, you lost a child. Maybe uh, you lost your house. All those things happen. There is a time when that happens where it hurts like crazy, but God is a God who heals. I can't keep licking my wounds. doesn't matter what's happened to my marriage in the past. I have a future and I will refuse to lick my wounds. Instead, I'll be someone who gets healed, gets up and starts walking again. When you lick your wounds, they keep festering. They don't get cleaned up. The only one who can clean up wounds is God, man. Lick your wounds and all you get is scabs. God heals you, you get scars, man. Don't lick your wounds. I love what Caleb did, eh? He's 84. He's about Dagmar's age. And what does he do? He says, I, I want my portion of land. And I- could I please have those hills... Those, the hill country of Hebron. Why, Caleb? Because they got giants from the tribe of Anak and I'd really like to take them on. <laughs> What's wrong with the guy? <laughs> Talk about being illogical. Talk about Caleb going. If Caleb didn't go, the Anaks would not have been defeated. Crazy. If Caleb did not go, the Anaks would not have been defeated. Hardships are no match, guys, for the surpassing victory through the one who loves you perfectly. Romans eight thirty seven. For the surpassing victory of the one who loves you. That's, uh, this is the Romans 8, 37, 38 thing. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And he gives us surpassing victory through the one who loves us perfectly. But we'll talk about that another day. Let me conclude. Guys, it is in the ascension of Elijah's and Jehu's that your life is proven as being beneficial. Let me say that again. It's in the ascension, as in when, when after, by the time you leave the earth, why was posterity so important to?
to the Jewish nation. I mean, for a for a woman to be barren in Israel was like the ultimate stigma. For a man not to have children was like the end of days. Abraham laments, but okay, oh God, if you say uh, I'm going to have children, I'll call Eliezer my servant and I'll take him and his son as my children. It was it was unbearable not to have a posterity. But what about spiritual posterity, man? Why is that not unbearable? Why is that not unbearable? The proof of a life lived well on earth is seen in the Jehus and the Elishas you leave behind. So when you leave the earth, who will say that it was because of his spiritual input that I became who I became? Who will say it was his hand that led me to the place that I am right now? You think this is a realm of pastors? Absolutely not. Common priesthood we share with different graces and giftings. The proof of a life lived well, lived in a godly fashion here on earth, is Elijah's and Jehu's that have been fathered and that have been anointed. And that is when you can rest. You cannot rest till you have somebody else raised on earth who is better than you. When did God rest? God rested when he figured that all things are working well and that seed will perpetuate life forever. That's when God rested. eh? He had set everything up. He had given them the command, go, multiply, reproduce, replenish the earth. He had planted trees that will bear seeds that will cause more trees to come. Having done anything, then he goes into rest. Why? Because he had set everything in order so that they would perpetuate after their kind. You cannot rest till you have come to a place where you can perpetuate after your kind. And I'm not talking about biological children as wonderful as they are. But there is a new kind that you are that came from that seed called the immortal seed of 1 Peter 1.23. That has to be perpetuated on the earth and you cannot rest till that is done. So while you're alive, you have to deputize and steward and after you're dead, you have to make sure that it perpetuates. While you're alive, you deputize. As in, what does deputize mean? Deputize means when Chris goes away, Chris deputizes Lynn to play the keyboard. You know that's going to happen, right? You better learn everything you can over the next three weeks. So Chris, Chris deputizes her to play the keyboard. And then having deputized her, she has to steward Lynn's talent. So over the next three weeks, Chris stops working at TELUS and spends her entire day helping Lynn to learn the keyboard. So that in three weeks, she's ready to play. While you're alive, guys, that is your function. At the end of the day, regardless of what your grace or gift is, you're supposed to deputize and you're supposed to steward. So that when you die... The seed perpetuates. Then you don't have to worry. And every generation gets more and more potent. I want to end with a very, very sad verse. I know that's not the best way to end sermons, but I want to end with a really sad verse. I wanted to, I wanted to hit you so hard that it'll give you trouble sleeping. It's in Judges 2, verses 7 to 10. I read it and I almost started weeping. I'm not being dramatic. Judges 2, 7 to 10. I thought to myself, my God, Father, may our hands be free of blood when Acts 29 days are done. 
Judges 2, 7 to 10. Here's what it says. Let's start at verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. One generation, guys. Here was a generation that had seen everything, that had seen God dwell in their midst, the elders came, but in one generation. That is frightening, eh? In one generation, you had a people who did not know the Lord and did not know his works. Which means, Joshua failed miserably. One generation. Crazy, eh? That's all it takes. Acts 29 can do that. We can have God in our midst. He can turn up and do wonders. He can make uh, coolant and oil separate. He can make two teeth uh, disappear and appear. He can make hips, replace hips. And in one generation, you can have a people who do not know God and do not know his works. You must understand how important it is that you go back out there for the sake of your children and for the generations that are out there because otherwise Jehu's will not be anointed. Elisha's will not be raised. Jezebel will not be dismantled. And don't take anything granted with your children. eh? I want to say this too. No, I won't say that now. Yeah, let's just pray. You know, Father, the reason I'm praying is that's a sobering note to end on. I wanted to trouble us, Abba. I wanted to trouble us. How does one generation that saw you in their midst in terms of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, in terms of the rock that spewed water, in terms of the Red Sea parting, that generation, when that generation died, how come the next generation did not know who you were and did not know your works. What happened, Father? What happened? I mean, wasn't Joshua a man with an excellent spirit? How come? Father, give Acts 29 this this pain somewhere inside, like a spiritual kind of ache inside that we do not live for ourselves, we live for at least two generations down the road. Would you please cause that ache to develop? That we do not live for ourselves, we live for Maya's children, Tavis's children, Roxanne's children. Ah, Jesus, can you please make that happen? Spirit of God, only you can bring about these appetites in us, us, these spiritual appetites. That Roxanne's children will benefit from what we are doing now. 
Could you do that, Lord? It becomes important to us. Because we want to live to make others glad in you. Unborns glad in you. Ones that are not born yet. Left a rich legacy where they will now say, I believe in the God of um, Rob and Roxanne and someone. Or like they used to say of old. Grant us these things. Only you can do it, Spirit of God. I trust that you will make it happen. Because I don't have the power to do it. But you can. And I trust you, Holy Spirit, for this deep desire. And so I ask this for us. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, see you on Tuesday. Otherwise, if you have any need for prayer, feel free to come up and someone will pray with you.